let's jump into this. Last week, uh, last week we learned about our call to bless the Lord. We took our cues from uh, King David, and in Psalm 103, we learned that he, he teaches or taught us that declaring blessing is a part of our image-bearing nature. We also learned that we're to bless the Lord in both word and deed, and that God is the one who defines how that happens, okay? We don't just get to make this stuff up. Uh, today, I want to talk you through the why of blessing the Lord, uh, because I, I feel like that is one of the most important components. Any purpose statement is going to be the most important thing for a person like me so that I feel I'm doing something for a reason. As I said last week, the messages that I share throughout January, uh, and one will be shared by Barney Estes, but uh, the messages shared throughout January are going to be... Um, intended to realign us in our new year. Right? We've begun a new year, and we need uh, a little bit of a realignment. Messages that are intended to, um, intended to refocus us on our sure foundation, which is Christ Jesus and our call to bless him. There are a lot of things going on in our world, and we will absolutely be addressing those things uh, you know, as we go. But it is important that we never lose sight of the fact that we are called to, first and foremost, um, see Jesus as our foundation, and second, to bless him. So uh, as we begin today, I'm going to read you Psalm 103 in its entirety. So there's a lot here. It's 22 verses, uh, and I hope you'll, you'll stick with me on it. And then after that, we'll glean from the text. We'll figure out what it is that God is teaching us through these words. So Psalm 103, uh, starting at verse 1, these are the words of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust." As for man, verse 15, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty, his kingdom, rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, you, perform, you who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. 
Bless the Lord, all you, his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I think we all know this, but it's worth repeating. Uh, It's worth repeating just so that we can understand a a contrast that happens in life. It is one thing for something to, um, for us to do a thing, for us to follow a command, for us to obey, um, without being told why we're doing it. Okay, so we're just, we're just uh, going through the motions, unquestioned obedience. The truth is that there will be many situations in this life, probably most situations in this life, uh, where this is required. Situations where we don't get to ask any questions, we just simply have to obey. Uh, there are many times as parents, you guys know this, where we have to do this with our kids. Just do what I say. We don't have time to go through the reasons. You just have to do what I say right now. So there are many and probably most of the times in our life when that is, that is going to be the case. But it's an entirely different matter, entirely different matter, uh, to receive a command and actually get to know why you're doing it. Uh, to be told, do this and here's why, creates great peace, at least for a person like me. In moments like this, uh, I, I see life as generally more manageable because I have a purpose. I have a reason for a particular act. Uh, And this is literally what we have in this call to bless the Lord in Psalm 103. David gives us 22 verses of reasons for why we should bless the Lord. That's pretty awesome. 22 verses answering this great why question, which gives us peace, which gives us motivation so that when we're serving God, we can look back and say, oh, that's why I do this. That's why I do that. It's not just because uh, my heavenly father told me so. There's, there's a reason for that. Just a small disclaimer, though, as we go through this. We're going to walk through this psalm completely out of order. <laughs> completely out of order. And the reason why um, is because it will help us in keeping our thoughts straight. We are still going to understand its meaning correctly, but we need to keep our thoughts straight in, in the why of blessing the Lord. The first thing that we're going to look at is the character of God. That's ha- that happens to be the last thing in the, in the psalm. But we're going to look at the character of God as a why we bless him. Uh, who God is is crucial to praise, church. Who God is is crucial to praise. This is why many of our worship songs today seem so anemic. They seem broken because they actually don't talk about God at all. It's all about me and how I'm... I'm the object of his affection and how I'm going to grow stronger and how I'm going to overcome and all of that mumbo jumbo, right? Okay, fine. We are overcomers, right? We are overcomers. The scripture is clear on that. But we are overcomers because we serve a great God. Amen? Okay, so, so the first thing is that God, uh, who God is is crucial to praise. Second, we're going to observe the universal work of God as a why. This section is significant because it applies to all people everywhere. This is true for you. 
Uh, this is what God does for you or what he is to you. Third, we're going to look at the personal works of God as a why for blessing him. In this section, we zoom in on David's life and we see what God did for him specifically. Okay, what God did for David specifically. Afterwards, I'll challenge you to make a list of the things that God has done for you as an individual so that you can remember to bless the Lord in the same way that David did. And then finally, I'll wrap everything up by uh, restating all of these connections. It's kind of my normal MO. So why number one is the character of God. Throughout Psalm 103, David pointed to the character of God, uh, the character of his creator repeatedly, right? David first points out that God benefits his people. God is the one who benefits us. But what does it mean for God to benefit us? It means that he cares for our well-being. How many of you know that that's true? God cares for all of our well-being. That's universal as well as specific to David. But God cares for our well-being. We see that in verse 2. Next, David declares God to be a righteous judge, verse 6. This is going to be a huge piece of today's message. Uh, God is then lauded by David as compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. These are uh, things that I want to be known as, compassionate, gracious, and slow to anger. Uh, I'm not so much there, and especially not with such a lack of patience, but that's in verse 8. He also uh, describes God as holy other than we are. In other words, God is holy, right? God is set apart, verse 11. David says that God is also mindful of us, and last but not least, he is sovereign over all. That is, that this, all of this falls under God's kingdom, all of this. Even America, even America in chaos, <laughs> it still falls under God's dominion, under God's kingdom. Every one of these truths should be reason enough uh, to bless the Lord with all of our soul. But there's a character trait that David repeatedly goes to in this particular psalm. He, he says it four times, and I think we need to zero in on this, right? So verse 4, verse 8, verse 11, and verse 17 all speak of this character trait, and that is the loving kindness of God. So if you're a note taker, write that down, the loving kindness of God. The Hebrew word here is, uh, in this verse is hesed. That's how it's pronounced, hesed. Uh, it's a term that can refer to kindness. It can refer to mercy. It can refer to faithfulness and loyalty. But most of the time, it's translated as steadfast love. Steadfast love. We see this in the ESV and the NIV. Each of these meanings, though, uh, faithfulness, loyalty, kindness, mercy, and steadfast love, are all applicable inside of this great psalm. But I want us to keep our, uh, our focus on steadfast love for just a bit. Hesed is used to describe uh, the essential characteristic or character of God. When he appears to Moses, when God appears to Moses, God describes himself as abounding in hesed. He keeps hesed, or loving kindness, to a thousand generations. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. His hesed, his steadfast love, is associated with his covenant love for Israel. So this is a commitment God has made, and God is going to keep that. God describes himself as showing steadfast love to those who love and obey him. Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, and Deuteronomy 5, 10. 
This description is echoed, though, uh, throughout the Old Testament, that God shows steadfast love to those who will trust him. Nehemiah 1.5, Daniel 9.4, Jeremiah 32.18. just goes on and on, right? Uh, all, just so you know, if, if I go too fast in all of these things, which I'm prone to do, uh, all of this is up each week on uh, several blog posts on my website, nathanfrankhauser.com. So you can find that, and you can find all these cross-references, and there will be a hyperlink to it, so you'll go to the passage. So don't, don't sweat it if you can't jot them down. Solomon praises God. Let's get back to this uh, steadfast love. Solomon praises God uh, for his hesed in 1 Kings 3, 5, and asserts that there is no God that is hesed like God. I love that, right? There is no God who is steadfast in his love like the God of Israel, fulfilling all of his promises to David, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 23 and 24. Now, if we understand this, I think it's pretty easy to, uh, to, to, um, to understand why David would bless the Lord with all his soul. All of these characteristics, all of this steadfast love, all that God says he is and all that he has done for different people is pretty powerful. It should cause us to want to praise him. Uh, so let's just keep going with it. Moses appeals to God's hesed to pardon the people's sin in Numbers 14. Uh, when the Israelites confess their sins in Nehemiah, they note that God didn't forsake his rebellious people in the wilderness and all because he abounds in hesed, Nehemiah 9. Now, what, what is so amazing about that is uh, back to what makes the new covenant the new covenant versus the old covenant. It is not that the old covenant was broken or that it was faulty or that it failed in some way. It is simply that it was a covenant between two parties and we failed at our part. We, we violated that covenant. So a new covenant is made. How many of you guys know that uh, when, when you break a covenant, you have to come back to the table and say, okay, are we going to fix this? If we're going to fix this, here's how we're going to fix it. Here's the new commitments. Here's the new promises. And so that's what the new covenant does. And so God comes in with a new covenant, and he says this, and it's really powerful. He says that my faithfulness is what we're going to lean on. Right? Even if you uh, show yourself to be uh, faithless or broken in times, uh, I cannot deny you. I remain faithful, right? I cannot deny myself. I remain faithful. I love that truth. That truth is so powerful because it's not leaning, it's not resting on me. If it was resting on me, something's going to go wrong. How many of you have ever thought about scenarios like this? What happens if you're on your deathbed and the nurse comes in and she does something really stupid and you say something you shouldn't have said, right? And all of a sudden you take your last breath. It's all over. God's like, sorry, you're going to hell now, right? This, this makes no sense whatsoever. And it's not just Nathan trying to reason away things. It's simply me going back to what I see throughout the whole of God's word, and that is that we are resting in this on God's faithfulness, right? Amen? So God's, God appeals, or Moses appeals to uh, God's faithfulness, God's hesed to pardon his people. Also, Ezra shows that God didn't forsake the exiles. Uh, that's found in uh, Ezra 9.9. Instead, he extends his hesed to them. The prophets repeatedly encourage the people to return to God, citing his steadfast love along with his grace. We can see this in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, as well as in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. Now, 
I just want to take a brief second to jump out on this and say uh, that there is a difference between grace and loving kindness. There is a difference between grace and mercy as uh, steadfast love or loving kindness is. In Joel chapter 2 verse 13, the writer is not just waxing poetic here and throwing out synonyms for God's, uh, you know, to pad God's resume in some way. Each word has a distinct meaning. And each of those meanings matters to who God is and to our accurate understanding of who God is. The word for grace in Joel is a word that's pronounced hanun. Uh, and according to the lexum, analytical lexicon, it means disposed to, given to, disposed to, bestow favors of blessing. That's who your God is. He's disposed to show favors of blessing. Now, why would the creators of a lexicon uh, present this as the definition for grace? Why not, why not unmerited favor? That's a term we're used to, or that's a description we're used to. Well, the answer is that words mean what they mean based on their usage, based on their context, and based on the part of language that they take up. In, in the writing, okay? So I, I need you to understand this. When grace is a noun, when grace as a noun is given, it is unmerited favor. God, God gives grace that is called unmerited favor. Um, but when one such as God is gracious, that's an adjective, when he is gracious, the word actually describes character. And to describe character means we have to look back through the whole of God's word and we have to see how God plays out over his interactions with his people. We can't just say God, is, God shows unmerited favor in all situations, but we can say that God is gracious to a people. Okay, so God is a person that is given to or disposed to uh, giving favor or showing favor to his people. Grace here describes God as being given to that unmerited favor towards people. The Bible repeatedly describes God as one who is inclined to this action, church. Uh, he is eager to bestow these favors on you and I. We have to remember this, church, because it's really easy to jump ship on this. It's really easy to, to get derailed. God is a just God. Um, the scripture does say that he burns with indignation every day. That, that is true. Um, we have to understand that. We have to understand that that burning uh, in indignation is towards sin and towards those who are, are, are just going to constantly ruin, uh, try to ruin his world, okay? So he does burn with indignation, but the same God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament, and that God is a God of grace, whether you knew this or not. He is a God of grace. So Joel actually helps us in our understanding because he shows us that God is steadfast in love, but that God is also prone to or disposed to show favor on those who fear him. And I am just excited about that because uh, not, not that we um, sin that grace might abound, but th that grace does abound. Amen? That grace does abound, and that is a powerful idea. So we get back to steadfast love, or hesed, and we see that hesed is also a characteristic God desires in his people, especially 
over and against sacrifice. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Uh, we find that in Hosea 6.6. 6. Zechariah instructs the people to show hesed to one another in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 9. Micah explains that God requires justice, mercy, and humility. Justice, hesed, and humility, Micah 6.8. The psalmist indicates that God takes pleasure in those who trust in his Steadfast love in his hesed. Proverbs is filled with this word, right? Uh, hesed uh, is a benefit of wisdom. Um, it is something to be pursued with, uh, with all of your life, uh, along with righteousness and honor. It is, uh, according to Proverbs 31, what the ideal woman speaks with. She speaks with, women, uh, with wisdom, and she teaches with steadfast love. The ideal woman teaches with hesed, steadfast love. Lastly, hesed carries a sense of covenant obligation. Uh, David asked Jonathan to show this steadfast love to him because he made a covenant with him in 1 Samuel 20, verse 8. Um, And David does show his steadfast love towards Jonathan uh, far beyond Jonathan's life. He takes care of Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in 2 Samuel 9, 7. Um, in this psalm alone, though, we see each aspect of Hesed on display. Uh, starting at verse 11, here's what David says, and this will be on the screen for you. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. These verses communicate the true gospel, if you'll pay attention to it. God, uh, God is a God of hesed. He, this is his character. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west because he's showing favor on us. And it is unmerited favor Because that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is never um, an earned thing. Otherwise, it's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is uh, loving somebody when they don't deserve it, right? And so God has shown us this mercy. He's shown us this steadfast love. This love is compared to how a father has compassion on his children. And I said this last week, it's strange that God compares himself to us. Is that really the case? Well, yes, it is. And the reason for this is actually because God knows our frame. What do you mean by that, Nathan? Well, he knows our weakness, but he also knows that our weakness includes a limited understanding. God is being gracious with us by saying, actually, I'm kind of like you in this. That's how we get it, right? If God said, I'm God, hear me roar, everybody's going to look at it and say, I'm I'm not sure. If we were just left with this description of God, I am that I am, we would all go, what? I really don't get what you mean, I am that I am. I get that that means you exist. I get that means that you're true. But, but what, what does that mean? And God says, oh, okay, I know your weakness. I actually know your frailty. So let me speak to you on your level. Um, I'm compassionate like a father is to his children. That's for our benefit, church, that this is written in here. So he's aware of our frame. He knows that we're dust, and God is mindful of this truth. Um, this alone really should 
uh, allow us to bless the Lord. David goes on in verse 15. Again, it'll be on the screen. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. I love verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty, a word that means his kingdom here, rules over all. That's pretty powerful, right? I said it last week, and I'll say it again today, that very few individuals in this life will be remembered beyond one or two generations, right? We're we're not going to have a terribly enduring legacy, right? David said it best when he said, its place, meaning us, we were like the flowers of the field, its place acknowledges it no longer. Sometimes that happens in your life. And it's a tragic situation. But its place acknowledges it no longer. But do you want to hear the good news in all of it? Here's the good news in that, here, here's the good news in that you'll be forgotten. <laughs> sounds awesome. Here's the good news. But God. There it is, right? It's always this. It's repeatedly this. Pastors have hit on this in modern times a lot. But God. The world will forget you, but God doesn't. Your faithfulness will fail, but God's won't. Amen? I love that reality, but God. Our foundations are always going to falter, but if our foundation is Jesus, it will never fall apart. Oh, that makes me so happy. The loving kindness of God not only shows us grace, he's also faithful to remember us. This faithfulness faithfulness extends to our children and even our children's children. So hear me with this statement. Hear me with this statement. The most incredible legacy you and I will ever have is that God remembers those who fear him. So if you want a legacy, fear the Lord. The greatest legacy you will have is fearing the Lord because God remembers those who fear him. So why number one is this, that the character, uh, it's the character of God. Why do we bless the Lord? his character, who he is. That's all that matters, really. Why, number two, the universal works of God. In verses 6 through 10, David says this, again on the screen. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. I'm going to draw the distinction here in just a second, but highlight these words if you're taking notes. For all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses... His acts to the sons of Israel, that entire nation of people. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. That line alone is worth the price of admission. Verse 9, he will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. That line there means that he he won't always be contentious with us or contend with us. He's actually not going to keep his anger forever. He will forgive And he will make it right, okay? Verse 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. You know why that verse is so important? Because if he did, we'd all be dead. 
Yay, right? So if God had done, so, so God who hates sin and those who practice iniquity, if God, that's what the Bible says, if that is true and God does not have patience and um, have a plan to overlook it temporarily till the blood of Jesus, if God doesn't do that, uh, he would deal with us according to our sins and according to our iniquities and we would all die because he is just and he has to be so, okay? Uh, the God David serves, the God of all creation, according to these verses, is the righteous judge for all people. Please hear me, church. All people. And especially, he is an advocate for those who are being oppressed. In light of this, I want to share with you a couple of ideas. These things should provoke you to praise our God. First, and contrary to the negative connotation that judgment has in our culture, all people desire a good judge. Every last person on this planet wants a good judge. Trust me. All people actually desire a good judge for the same exact reason, because they want righteous judgments. Nathan, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. The world doesn't care about righteousness, Nathan. You're wrong. They don't care about righteousness. Ah, you're wrong too. <laughs> Let me explain. The problem is not wanting righteous judgment. The problem lies in defining objective righteousness. Hear me clearly, church. The problem is not in wanting righteous judgment. It is in defining objective righteousness. For example, in all of our debates about Supreme Court justices, people on every side of every aisle that there can be are looking for judges who will carry out what they believe to be just decisions for oppressed people groups. Did you know that? Even if it's a person that you vehemently disagree with, they are, they are wanting judges who will judge uh, justly in their mind for oppressed people groups. But again, the problem we're facing is that we can't agree on who's being oppressed, actually oppressed, versus who simply outside of God's design, refusing to change, and therefore feels oppressed. You know how many times my kids say, well, I just feel like you are, well, I just feel like you are, yeah, tough. <laughs> Your feelings lie. And, and I tell this to four-year-olds, so like, get over it. You need to tell this to 40-year-olds too, right? So th th there are people in our world that feel oppressed, and what are they looking for? They're looking for a judge that can fight for their oppression, Okay. So, so make sure we're understanding this. This truth is actually going to fundament, fundamentally change the arguments if we're paying attention. It will change the argument. People everywhere want to be set free from oppression. Amen? They do. They might not know what their oppression really is. Actual oppression is sin. Actual oppression is sin, not God's standard. There's an important truth. The oppression you face in life is the sin that is pushing on you. It is not the, the mark that God has set or the bar that God has set. But we've reversed it, haven't we? We've said that God's laws, God's rules, it's just so oppressive and so hard. David said that God's law is a joy and that he loves it. 
How can he say that? Because David actually knows what he's talking about. That's how he can say that. We have to acknowledge this in our discussions because if we start off in our discussions or our debates by accusing someone of not caring about right judgment, number one, you're wrong in doing so. And number two, you'll just shut down the conversation. You're not going to get anywhere with that person. If we as Christians don't bring this discussion back to God's objective standard, that's why uh, the argument today about objective morality is so important. If we don't bring it back to that standard, we've actually missed the point ourselves. We just keep blaming people for not truly wanting justice. Everybody truly wants justice. The problem is they don't want to be judged for their sin. That's what we hate, Right, so remember, God is a righteous judge for all, and this is truly praiseworthy. The second element here is that God's judgments are motivated by compassion, they're motivated by grace, they're motivated by patience, and again, they're motivated by hesed, or a steadfast love. Please remember, church, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It was the kindness, the goodness of the Father that turned the prodigal around. It is, it is not anything else, right? Of course, that kindness of God extends to his covenant people or Christians. Amen? It's really an awesome kindness. But uh, it does extend to every person on this planet. Here's what John 3.16 again says. For God so loved the world. And by the way, that means the whole world, Right? God so loved the world, the whole world, that he gave his one and only son that, and here's the real kicker if you want to understand how far this reaches, whosoever believes in him, that's up to them, whosoever will believe will be saved. This is also what makes God an impartial judge, which we're going to talk about in just a second. You see, God is not slow as we consider slowness. Instead, he's patient. He wants, he wants that none should perish. Again, who does God love? Who is God being kind to? Who is God going to be a hesed, steadfast, loving judge to? All, period, right? He is going to extend this. Finally, it's uh, praiseworthy that God is a judge who shows no partiality. What does this mean? What does it mean for God to show no partiality? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that an, it necessarily can't mean that an omniscient God picks and chooses some. The very combination demands partiality. If you're omniscient, it demands that every choice be an informed choice and therefore a partial choice. It can't be that way. It's not, it's logically inconsistent. It falls apart. Instead, what it means is that no matter your race, your creed, your color, or your sin preference, <laughs> if you repent and believe, God will accept you. No partiality. It doesn't matter. He will save you. And guess what? He's the one who set the rules. So we're not pushing something on him. Ha ha, you're stuck with me, Jesus. <laughs> He's okay to be stuck with me. I know, weird, but he's okay to be stuck with me, right? So the verdict of God is just, and it will be just if we will repent and believe. Because why? Verse 10, he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's loving. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Oh, I love that. 
Makes me so happy. Uh, why number three? The personal work of God. And this, this may uh, ruffle a few feathers, but hear me out here. Verses one through five are personal to David. Say that with me. Personal to David. Say it one more time. Personal to David. Please, please listen to me. If you misread this, you will conclude that David establishes promises that God does not give. Hear me out. What David does here is a bit of spiritual self-talk. Spiritual self-talk. Now, we're not talking about you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. That's called stupid self-talk, okay? Here's spiritual self-talk, though, right? He commands his own soul to bless the Lord to remember his or God's benefits, and then he lists out the benefits which God had performed for him as an individual. Listen to what he says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Not your soul. David is talking, right? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities. And that's where we go wrong. David's talking to his soul. Listen to him. Uh, Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. In the Bible, the word you needs a little more attention than we often care to give it. Sometimes it means you as an individual. Sometimes it means y'all as a people group. You guys know this. You should remember this because Curtis taught a message in which he showed us that he can't say y'all like a country boy. It just can't happen. I love you, Kurt. (laughs) He's okay. He's like, I don't want to be a country boy, so we're moving on, right? The people of Israel are a a good example of the y'all. So example being Exodus 34, 21. You shall work six days, y'all shall work six days, but on the seventh day, y'all shall rest. Same word. You, you, right? You shall rest. Even during plowing time and harvest, you, y'all, shall rest. This is the people of Israel. In verses 1 through 5 of Psalm 103, though, the you means David alone, David's soul individually. Why? Look at what has happened. God had pardoned David's iniquities, and David had a lot of them, right? David was a sinner, Okay, God pardoned David's iniquities. God had healed David's diseases. There's no reason why David's life should be extended the way it was. But David was doing well. God had healed all of David's diseases. God had redeemed David's life from literal pits. Okay, God had crowned David with hesed. Again, steadfast love and compassion. God had satisfied David's years with good things. So that, and this is so cool, so that his youth was renewed like an eagle. What does that phrase mean uh, in the Bible? The phrase renewed like an eagle uh, means that his strength or his speed were restored. This is an old man at this point. And this old man is being restored because why? Because God made promises to him and God kept promises to him. Right after verse 5, David goes to general things. He starts talking about how God is a righteous judge to all of us. 
But he led off his bless the Lord dissertation by showing what God had done for him. My point in all of this is that if you read it wrong, you will live with a measure of disappointment in your life. Why? Because you're going, why, God, did you not do this for me? And God goes, I didn't say I'd do that for you. We do this all the time with the Bible, and we make lots of mistakes, and instead of fessing up to it, what we do is we pivot, and we make it mean something it didn't mean even further. We just kick the can down the road. We're so determined to keep our man-made beliefs that we sacrifice God-given beliefs, and we've got to be careful with this. If you read it correctly, you can and will bless the Lord generously. Why? Number one, because you'll rejoice in God's love for David and his covenant-keeping nature. You and I are a benefit or beneficiaries of what God did for David, right? We wouldn't have King Jesus if God did not say, I made a promise to David. I know we would, but you get my point. God said, I'm going to make this line come through you, and God kept that promise. Wow, that's amazing how God keeps his word. Number two, you'll also look at your life and you'll realize that all things God has done for you are things that should provoke you to bless the Lord, just like David did. So here's my challenge for you this week. I want, you, I want to see you all write down a list, and it can be a long list, it can be a short list. I'm not asking you to email it to me, and I'm not grading them. I just, I just want you to write out a list of things that God has done in your life. So brace yourself for what I'm about to say. God may have done things in your life that he did in David's life. He may have healed all your sicknesses and all your diseases. He didn't say he would do that for all y'all, but he may have done that for you. You should write that down, and you should praise God for it, right? You should write down that God, uh, God might have brought you out of many pits in your life, many dark times, led you through those valleys of the shadow of death. Write it down and bless the Lord accordingly. That's what you should do. Just like David, we want to do this. And then after you get that list, here's what I want you to do. I want you to participate in a little bit of spiritual (laughs) self-talk. I want you to go home, look in the mirror, and say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits, and then list out everything he's done for you. Read it. I don't care. Get on Facebook and let everybody else know it too. That'd be a much more positive feed to read than all the nonsense we're reading right now, right? So (laughs) I didn't realize that would get such a a deep-rooted amen. I'm going to start saying those things more often. Okay, good. Facebook sucks. Amen. Anyway, okay. (laughs) See? See how it works? Anyway, so here's the conclusion. What are the whys for blessing the Lord? Number one, his character. God's character is why you should bless him. If you don't know his character, you should study his character, right? Number two, God's general benefits, his universal blessings. God is a righteous judge to all church. And because of that, we should should jump up and down. We should rejoice in King Jesus every day of our lives. Number three, and we can't forget number three, we often forget number three. The reason why we should bless the Lord is because God has done many things in our lives. Too many to count, if you're honest. Too many to count. Sure, you've been through bad times. 
Sure, you've faced hell, you've faced fire, you've faced torture and all kinds of things in some capacity in this life. But listen to me. God's blessings far outweigh those setbacks. They always have. We just forget them a lot. Amen? Right? So why does David start this by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits? Because we're prone to. We're prone to. You know what I see every day of my life? I see the bad. I see the ugly. It's not a comment about Nathan Daniels. We see the bad. <laughs> see the bad. I pick on him because he loves me picking on him. I see the bad. I see the ugly. I see the, the negative, the frustrating things. And what happens is I'm prone to forget. I'm prone to drift. I'm prone to look at all those things, whatever. Ho-hum, everything is awful. God says, number one, forget not my benefits, right? And number two, he says, to keep your mind on things that are good and holy and pleasing. This is a battle we're in, church, just to get this stupid thing to think right. This is actually where we need each other's help. When we're on social media and when we're hanging out with each other, if all we ever do is stoke the fires of outrage, hear me. If all we ever do is stoke the fires of outrage, it will never end. You will burn the world down. That's exactly what James tells you you'll do. Everybody's too proud to think that they won't do it, right? Oh, I can control my tongue or, oh, it's just my people group. No, we're, we're literally burning our nation down <laughs> right now. It's just absurd, okay? So if we stoke the fires of outrage, we're just, we, should reap, we should expect to reap the, the consequences of that, right? However, if we will come together and we will talk to each other about the fact that God is still in control that God has provided us with ways forward, that God has told us to be strong and courageous, that he walks through every valley with us, all of those things. If we'll talk to each other that way, over time, <laughs> check me, over time, you'll actually start to believe it. And, <laughs> and in believing it, you'll live it. And if you live it, life will be peaceful. Life will be different. Because even as the world uh, does what it does, you will know that you're in, you're in God's hands. You are in the one who is in control of all things. You're in his hand. Amen? So I wanted to start 2021 off with this idea that we need to learn how to bless the Lord better. We do that in word and deed. God is the one who defines how that works. We have lots of reasons, 22 verses here, just here, of why we should bless the Lord. There are individual reasons, there are personal reasons, and my favorite is the character of God as a reason. I pray that you'll study that this week. I pray that you'll give your heart to it. I pray that you'll find reasons to praise him and to bless him, and that you'll talk about his benefits, and you'll remember them. Amen.